Hi there, it's Nick here. Thanks so much for your continued support of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Wherever you consume your podcast, it is great to have you with us. I would alert you again to the racing app which is your one-stop shop and the easiest place now to download the show each and every morning as soon as it's ready. Many of you are doing so already, and that's not just because you can get access to all 880 episodes of this show, and very easily as well, but you can also watch live races. You can watch all the replays, and you can stream in the card with an active Fitstairs account. So do download it now, uh, the racing app. It's your one-stop shop and you will be able to catch up on all the previous episodes of your favourite daily racing podcast. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. It is Monday, November the 27th. Well, what a weekend. And even though this is against the backdrop of a grey, rainy day in TW11, we're going to bring a bit of sunshine into your life for the next 30 or 40 minutes. What has happened around the world? Well, we saw the world's best horse put on a display, Equinox, in the Japan Cup. As I said, worth getting up at five o'clock in the morning for if you were in Great Britain. Christophe Lemaire, what a brilliant, humble, talented man he is. You'll be hearing from him in a little while. But if you're based in Britain or Ireland, and that's where we are at the moment, your eyes would have been first focused on the glut of good jump racing over the weekend and so many stories to unpick. The Betfair chase didn't go the way that many expected. Brave Man's Game and Protector App both eclipsed by Royal Pagai. Has he come of age, finally? One horse who certainly has is Fast or Slow, who lowered the colours of all the Mullins horses in the John Durkin at Punchestown, despite it apparently being over a trip too short. We'll hear from his rider, JJ Slevin, in a few moments' time. And what about naughty boy Shishkin? Any normal weekend, his antics failing to start ahead of the 1965 chase at Ascot would have had top billing, but there's been a lot going on. Can they ever get him back, do you think? And was Pick Dory impressive in the same race? It was a four-timer for Nichols and Cobden at Ascot, justifying the champion trainer's decision to send his stable jockey to Berkshire rather than to Lancashire. State man, could he get closer to Constitution Hill this season? Well, he might, if his comeback victory in the Morgiana is anything to go by. He looked very good, very assured, and it was a decent time as well. But it didn't blow you away quite like Gaelic Warrior in the novice's chase. And it looks as though Rich Ritchie and his racing manager, Joe Chambers' decision to do that was vindicated, though Willie Mullins can't seem to decide what distance this horse wants. Mullins won't have it all his own way in the novice chase division this season because Gordon Elliott who again sent out a ton of winners over the weekend, and it seems to be the most underwritten story in racing at the moment, just how many winners he's having at a high level, had Favori de Chandu win very impressively, and he could take high order as well. So lots of equinox to come, but jumping to start with, and Jane Mangan is with me, and perhaps we'll start, Jane, with the a combination of the two chases, either side of the Irish Sea. Betfair chase sees Brave Man's game defeated by Royal Pagai, John Durkin sees Galapin Deschamps beaten by his stable companion appreciator and the winner fast or slow more from JJ Slevin in a minute. Is last year's Gold Cup taking its toll on the participants or are we just reading too much into it? It seems to be. You can you can interpret it as you wish, but it seems that the first three home, conflated Brave Man's Game and Galapin Deschamps, haven't quite 
showing the same sparkle yet. But, you know, the season is young and there is much yet to happen. Um, Brave man's game, maybe it was a little bit of a surprise to some that he was beaten in the Charlie Hall. It was more of a surprise to me uh, how tamely he was brushed aside by Ryle Pugai in, in, in the Betfair chase. Um, it was a funly run race. The time isn't exceptional. Protectorat went forward after uh, a few fences and, and tried to make it a real slog, a slog that he couldn't um, maintain. And Royal Pagai, I think we know how good Royal Pagai is. And I think we know that that's not quite good enough at the real top level. But he got the job done and I was happy for his connections. Uh, Charlie Deutsch and, and Venetia Williams, I hope it will transpire that they have two top class chasers on their hands when Lompresse comes back. They have one great one in the bag and he is a horse that probably deserved a race like this because he's always turned up this guy. And he's got to go for the King George now. And if you look at that race, you think, well, it's going to thin out. We could get another single figure and small field again uh, with surprisingly few entries for from Ireland, save for the obvious exception of, of Alaho, who, if he goes, must take an awful lot of beating. What about what happened in Ireland then? And a rare reversal for Cla Sutton and, and Willie Mullins because Galapin Deschamps not only found his own stable companion, appreciated too good, but fast or slow, who really came to the fore. Yes, fast or slow has answered the question. He's not slow. Myself included thought that two and a half miles might expose him and not a thoroughly run two and a half miles. Willie Mullins had five of the six runners here. The, the tactics were always going to be in his control. Pre-race, Martin Brazel was asked what kind of pace did he think was on? And he said, you might want to ask the other trainer because I'm certainly not going to make the pace. And he travelled very fluently. Faster slow was almost borderline keen in JJ Slevin's hands early on. As Patrick said, nothing more than a sedate pace and appreciated who ran a fantastic race. Um, Gallop and Deschamps, despite what looked like a steady pace, didn't really travel with much fluency. He hit the third fence. He wasn't as... I suppose, polished as you would expect a Gold Cup winner to be on his return. Whether my eyes are deceiving me, I thought of the tr the front trio that he looked the fittest in the ring. And I think the winner has just established himself as a proper grade one staying chaser now. And he's also shown that he's got the pace to do and be effective at this trip. All right, then. Here's the man who rode fast or slow yesterday, JJ Slevin. A wonderful performance, JJ. We spoke to Martin Brassel on here last week, and it wouldn't have filled you with complete confidence that the horse could win on his seasonal debut for all he said he was very well. Were you at all surprised or not? Uh, not really surprised, to be honest with you. He's, he, he always knew he was quite a nice horse, but I suppose it is hard to go there expecting to beat uh, Gallop on the Champs because he's obviously a very good horse. So, yeah, I suppose it is very hard to go there and expect to beat those sort of good horses, you know. But he did, and he did it well. And in spite of a, a steady enough early pace, just just talk me through the, the, the meat of the race. Yeah, so um, we had a good think about it beforehand, and I'd kind of been... Uh, following all the media and listening to what people were saying and I just thought that they weren't going to go quick a lot of people were saying they reckoned fast or slow was a, a stare and uh, I just thought the race was going to be run at a steadyish pace and that's what Paddy done Patrick Mullins uh, his horse is not slow either now mind you he ran the champion hurdle, so he's got plenty of boot 
and uh, he dictated his own thing in front and uh, turned into a bit of a dash and thankfully uh, I came out on top. And to what extent do you think all those races that your fella did have over two miles when he was getting ready for Cheltenham last year and two and two and a half miles, to what extent do you think that, that helped you? The fact that he could actually be fairly comfortable in, in, a, in a different race rhythm, that he didn't need some sort of end-to-end slog to be seen at his best? Yeah, um, no, for sure. It has to be a big help to him because the tempo of those two-mile races, uh, they're putting a the horse under pressure, jumping and galloping. So that's uh, it's, a, it's a massive difference, obviously, between two and three miles. And uh, the fact that he could kind of get, albeit he weren't very competitive over two miles, the fact that he could somewhat lie into horses over two miles and jump with them was obviously a big help, you know. So he's nicely in his comfort zone now. Martin Brassel only trains two dozen horses. How does he do what he does? He's just very, very good. Um, I suppose I've been going into him over a year and a half now. and uh, So I, I learn a lot from just looking at Martin and observing him and watching him. He, he, he's just a very, very good horseman. Uh, an old school horseman, I suppose, is probably the best way to describe him. Came to the Cora like in 1977 worked for Mick O'Toole and he's uh, just a very good horseman really you know and does, does he work how does he work say relative to the other people that you've you've seen close up because obviously you've had great experience in massive yards but how, how does Martin work yeah he seems obviously when he has that small number of horses he's very hands on he's able to you know get to know every horse really really well and he can tailor things to suit those horses and uh, the Cora it's an unbelievable place obviously I wouldn't have known that well before I went up there but I'm learning about the gallops up there I think it's, it's it's one of the best places in the world to train horses you know and you rode for him in the subsequent race as well your Grand National horse uh, Longhouse Poet had a, a, a spin in the in the per temps qualifier uh, did you get a, a, any sort of feel from him? Did you get a feel that you could you could have another dart at Aintree or some big prizes this season? Yeah, yeah. Longhouse, um, he grows a force when he comes to Aintree. Like Aintree last year was well, it was a disaster really. With far went down with protests and this and the other, and a lot of horses couldn't hack it. That got Longhouse where he needed to be. Actually, he was loving it and he was really up for the game. And unfortunately, I fell off him at the canal turn, but. Um, I think the main thing is to get him back to entry in one piece and I think well I hope we'll see a different horse in entry you know and going back to fast or slow I wondered whether horses just have a time and they have a time when they are they are feeling great and they're dominant and they're in their prime and it's their season do you think that could be the case for him that it's just he's come of age I think so he's seven rising eight is probably the ideal time for a chaser and uh, he hasn't got, he hasn't been to the well too often and got too many tough races, which I think is massive for those staying horses. And I could hopefully now he can continue on an upward curve for the rest of the year. And that's an interesting point. That that's a point that's been made a lot the last few days about Brave Man's game, beaten a couple of times this year, Galapin des Champs, described as variously listless and dead and not really up for it yesterday. Is it the case you think that if they go, if they go in those top three mile, three mile plus chases? Yeah, enough times that, that they can start recoiling a bit. I can, but in saying that, I suppose any horse only has, it's the same as anyone, jockey, 
soccer player, whatever you're talking about, they only have a certain amount of time at the top of their game, at the top level, and they'll be quite getting there, and then when they get there, they'll end up regressing again. And uh, I suppose once you're getting that kind of tough race at that level every time, it's hard to uh, keep your A game up every day, you know? Well, he was on his A game yesterday, uh, your horse fast or slow. Uh, roll on roll on the next challenge, which I guess will be um, Leopardstown at Christmas. Yeah, it looks like that. It's, uh, I'm sure I think Leopardstown will suit him well too. And uh, looking forward to it. Hopefully everyone can get there in one piece. All right, that's JJ Slevin. I think history tells us, Jane, that you know when a horse is on the up, they're the one you want to be with. For the Gold Cup. If you're thinking of having a Gold Cup bet now, you go with the future rather than the past, don't you? I'm not writing off Galpin de Champ yet. I think that would be naive. And the future, this guy was pretty good last year. Um, how good was that ultimate handicap at Cheltenham when Carrick Rambler, okay, he was receiving four or five pounds from Faster Slow, but the two of them went to the line together. Uh, I think faster slow was being brought to the boil a little steadier than the six-time grade one winner Galloping de Champ. And uh, now we're just seeing him at his peak. I think this has blown the Gold Cup division wide open. Uh, Jerry Colomb, I think, is in its second favour. Galloping de Champ remains around three to one, but faster slow has, I think he's gone five to one from somewhere around 14 to one. Uh, Shishkin did what he did. Brave Man's game is obviously on the out. There is plenty of cards left to be played, but it's looking a lot more open than I thought about it two weeks ago. Okay, 300 quid now. Where's it going? It's staying with the favourite. It's staying with Galapai, is it? Yeah, at the moment. Yeah, I, I think there's there's more than meets the eye with him. And we know how well he can jump. We know how well he can travel. He didn't do that for some reason. And I'm not going to write him off on the back of one run. All right. Okay. I, I think... Oh, I don't know. I'd be I'd be torn, I think, between Jerry and... And fast, I might just give it to Jerry. I might just give it to Jerry Colomb if I had the three hundred. Now we could have a very good Savills chase at uh, at Leopardstown if if these line up. You know, it's it's nice that there's potential for them to meet. There is a real life chance for them to meet before Cheltenham. All right, let's talk about Shishkin. Um, how do you solve a problem like Shishkin? He didn't start ahead of the 1965 at Ascot. Nicky Henderson afterwards said he's had a few cranky days at home. So whilst it would have been a surprise, it probably wasn't a complete shock, I would guess. Um, yeah. a, a few cranky days at home sounds like he's been a yeah a bit troublesome, to say the least. And they'd sent him away to Zara Phillips to, to sort of play about with him as well. So how, how do you get him? How do you get his head straight? In, in in a couple of weeks I don't know uh, he's got cheek pieces on I uh, you say he's with Zara Phillips usually what you would do is you take him cross country and get him enjoying life get him and maintain his fitness by doing long enjoyable work rather than boring gallop work that's usually what a smaller trainer would do I don't know if seven barrows have the capacity to do that I know when Santini got a little bit uh, temperamental towards the end. Didn't he go to Polygundry for a different type of regime? Um, Shishkin has the world of ability and he's not an older horse. He's just nine rising ten. Uh, I'd imagine they're going to try and change his routine at home to sweeten his mind. But with the cheek pieces on for the first time, he just 
did not want to know about it. And uh, it, it really, the race fell apart from there on, didn't it? Uh, it, it did. I mean, I, I'm not sure really that Pick Dory achieved much. Um, they'll be hoping that that he takes a, a good step forward. I would have thought for the for the King George, but you know he's a he's a Grade One winner, so he might. He might, but I didn't learn anything about him at Ascot. Only why Harry Cobden and and Paul Nichols decided to go there because they had a number of top class chances and they had four winners. It seems as though Shishkin might go to Newcastle for the rehearsal chase next week so if he re- repeats the dose then it might be a while before we see him again if he gets back on track then i guess they might think about the the king george but you'd be very wary for the time being wouldn't you i was very wary all last year because through the middle of these races whether it was at aintree or cheltenham he wasn't obliging for his rider and uh he threw away some races last year that he should have won so this has been coming for a while and I hope they can get him back right because he remains a horse that has so much to offer. Whether he's willing to offer it is completely up to him. Okay, Constitution Hill goes to Newcastle this weekend for the Fighting Fifth Hurdle, the race he won last year. How much of a marketed Stateman lay down in the Morgiana at the weekend, do you think? Stateman did what we hoped he would do. He beat Echoes and Rain, a filly that has... You know, followed home a lot of good horses in the past. She's won grade ones in her own uh, gender division, but she's never really troubled the judge against the Geldings. Um, the the real story of the race is Pied Piper. He jumped pretty terribly. Uh, he didn't even maintain his run for a furlong before he dropped back to last and finished the last of four finishers. But what Stateman did, despite looking like he was carrying condition, he quickened up and sustained his run very well despite having suffered a bit of interference on the turn in and i'd say he was better on this reappearance than he was in the race last year i'd say he has improved but you know from last year's champion hurdle he needs to but that's the first of two major champion hurdle contenders from willie mullins stable started the next one will be in perry pass in the hatton's grace at fairy house on sunday and they're also speaking quite favourably of him. So the first one is off. We'll see Constitution Hill this weekend and we'll see Imperia pass. And it'll all take a little bit of shape. It will. Uh, the Novice Chase Division is taking a bit of shape as well. Gaelic Warrior was very impressive at Punchestown. So too was Favori de Chandu. Um, both horses, you think, can can do better still? To start with Gaelic Warrior, haven't we just had a bait of beginners chases from the stars with classical dream being exquisite at Thurlis, facile vega and in the pocket at navin uh, american mike factifile at navin this gaelic warrior performance was a little bit freakish it was two two three he's he's ran over three miles over hurdles we know he jumps to his right and we know he can be a bit erratic but he actually ran away with paul townend over two three and he managed to sustain it and win 15 lengths basically on the bridle. His jumping wasn't perfect. He's a little bit silly. He doesn't like to listen to his rider. Um, I'd say they're more likely to come back and trip with him. If people have anti-post bets about Gaelic Warrior, I'd say a lot of them are not in the Arkle division. But this fella is, I don't think they have the option to go up and trip the way he ran. Do you, not? Do you don't think they'd be tempted by the Corto Star at Kempton? Right-handed grade one. Nice timing. You're asking the wrong person. I'm, I I, I was just listening to Willie Mullins after the race and he had thought about the 2-5 at Leopardstown and he said that's basically off the table now. 
Um, they also have the option of going right-handed at Limerick over two, three at Christmas. Um, but the the vibe I was getting is that he definitely wouldn't be going up and trip. So that was him. And then we had a very eventful Florida Pearl novice chase where usually if a loose horse, you know, falls, they, they disappear after a fence or a circuit. But Church Stone Warrior, the genuine owl horse that he is, he decided to go the full two, three mile trip annoying flooring porter up front and that was uh, the ruination of the race for him and Keith Dunahoo because he got competitive when the loose horse took him on for the lead he was too keen he jumped left Keith Dunahoo did really well to keep him on the track this was the first time flooring porter was going right-handed since he pulled up I think at the Punchdown Festival in 21 under Jonathan Moore they had stayed left-handed with him ever since he won two world hurdles in the interim go back to Punchestown, hoping that they'll get let alone on the lead, which was going swimmingly up until two fences. And uh, the loose horse just destroyed his chances. I thought he emerged with an awful lot of credit to still finish third, despite everything he did wrong. Favre de Chandu, the most straightforward horse, he won. But I don't think Afferdale Fury ran his race, the horse that beat him at Galway. And I think Sander Clegane has, has the opportunity to improve. So the the Florida Pearl was won well by Fabry de Chandu, but I'm not convinced he'll emerge as the best horse. Right, I joked before the weekend that there was only one horse in the world I'd get up at five o'clock in the morning for, which we did yesterday uh, to cover the Japan Cup for the first time live on British television on Racing TV. The horse, of course, Equinox, set up the narrative. It's not as though he disappointed. He was spellbinding. And those images of Christophe Lemaire um, visibly overcome afterwards were, were wonderful to witness. Here he is now. Uh, Christophe, it's been a long career. It's been a great career, but that's got to top the lot, hasn't it? Yes, definitely. Um, yesterday, uh, it was a special moment uh, for me. Uh, first, because I had uh, such um, big sensations on the back of Equinox, uh, when I when I felt him uh, um, when I felt his his acceleration um, that was a big thrill uh, the the race was uh, was over um, before the the 200 marker mark and I could um, I could enjoy the um, the roar of the crowd, of the big crowd of uh, Tokyo race course. That was a, a great moment of thrill. And then uh, coming back in front of uh, the stand, uh, I could see uh, people screaming and cheering for us and uh, um, in kind of, uh, I don't know, um, uh, extreme happiness and uh, <laughs> the pressure went, went down. And uh, I just uh, I just cried because the emotion was so big that uh, I couldn't um, I I couldn't hold my tears. That was unbelievable. And I'm not surprised. I mean that that sheer feeling of power must have been must have been quite extraordinary. He's put in some amazing performances already in the Shima Classic, the Takarazuka Kinnan, again in the Tenno Show Autumn. Was this the best? Was this the best feeling you'd experienced? Yes, definitely. With with Equinox, uh, that was the the best feeling. 
you know, usually he uses beautiful stride to to go quicker and quicker. Uh, but uh, yesterday, I felt uh, a true acceleration, a true powerful acceleration. Um, and it was the first time that I felt this uh, this power uh, between my legs. And uh, uh, that was amazing how <laughs> how he how he just picked up. Uh, that was uh, just amazing. I. I'm a bit speechless. I'm really sorry. I can't find my words, but wow. uh, I'm still uh, I'm still on 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 my cloud, and uh, it's hard to express what I what I felt yesterday. Yeah, don't worry. I think you're expressing it beautifully, and we all we all felt it with you. I think. Uh, uh, are we going to see the horse again? Is, is your is your feeling that we're going to see him in the Arima Kinnan and and beyond, or is are we done now? Um. From what I heard, uh, if the horse comes back uh, well from the race, uh, he might run the Arimakinen. Um, if he can do the triptych uh, Tenosho Japan Cup Arimakinen, he will. He's already, I think, in history books of uh, Japanese horse racing. But if he wins that triptych, uh, it will be something sensational. That only one horse um, uh, managed to do a uh, few years ago. I think it was Zeno Rob Roy with Olivier Pellier, another another French jockey. Um, so yeah, we we might see Equinox uh, at least one more time this year. And what what about next year? Is will he go then go to stud? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I can't tell you. And I think uh, even the the connection of the horse doesn't know about uh, his future uh, next year. Well, I I fervently hope for you and for everybody else that he he keeps going one more year. But he was he was absolutely brilliant yesterday, and uh, and we we all thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks so much for talking to me again. My pleasure, and uh, it's such a, uh, so so extraordinary that all around the world uh, people. Uh, racing fans and and horse racing lovers were astonished by what they witnessed and uh, for me I feel uh, very blessed to to be on his back uh, that was that was amazing and I'm happy that everybody enjoyed it all right, that was Christophe Lemaire. What a wonderful performance from Equinox. It sounds like we might see him again in the Arima Kinnan and who knows completely ruled out next year. So he becomes very valuable. I mean, he is now fully grabbing the world's attention if he hadn't already, Jane. How how deep into the trusty treasure trove of superlative do you want to delve for this and, and, and give it some sort of context in terms of horses, the great horses we've seen over the last two or three decades? It's difficult for me personally to quantify how good he is because the only time I can really level him up is with what he did to uh, Westover and Mustadaf in in Dubai. But what he's doing uh, in Japan is extraordinary. Um, I thought Christoph was particularly good on him because Pantalasa went what appeared to be a crazy pace, but he didn't panic. Sometimes when a rider is riding a horse that is deemed to be so superior you ride them so safe that you won't leave a horse build up a lead like Pantalassa did and you'll end up winning you know a two or three lengths 
getting a race. This guy won four lengths basically on the bridle from Liberty Island. And you're now talking about how valuable he is. Well, he's won, I think, 14 million sterling. He's just, he's, the fandom over there is enviable. And I'm, I'm envious of how passionate the fans are over there for this horse and for their racing in general. Um, physically, he seems huge. And that also adds to the fact that he's this monster runner. Monster, but, but, but here's the thing. Here's, but here's the thing, Jane. He only weighed in at four hundred and ninety odd kilos yesterday. He's okay, not. That, well, then... He's not that big. Like he's, uh, he's so. He's got a huge stride on him. He's just. A, I think he's just an incredible athlete. Well, Christoph Lemaire must be really small then, because he he's looking. Well, the horse looks physically very well, big with all the people around him. I think he's tall. I think he's tall, but he's like a real athlete. Like he's a he's built to be a a proper runner, isn't he? Yeah, and that's what he is. And he seems extremely straightforward as well. Look, there was, I I was in awe of Contrail. Uh, I was in awe of Almondai uh, and Lord Canaloa. But this fella seems to be, dare I say it, uh, an, another level. And if that if that's how you want, that's how I maybe will, will quantify it. I won't compare him to European or American horses because, look, he's, this is different and he's taking on different opposition, but the manner in which he's doing it is explosive and there's no doubt he's the best around. And uh, I'd love to see him again. I'm sure they're, they're thinking of probably history and how you set him apart from the others. Uh, I read in the TDN this morning that he's um, six consecutive group one tally is, I think he's the only third, the third horse in Japan racing history to do that behind TM Opera and, um, Lord Canaloa. So maybe if they go for the Kinnan, they'll set him apart from them. And you, you, when you're when you're dealing with a horse of this talent, you're thinking of extraordinary things because that's what he is. Well, in a a rare step forward uh, for the accountability of elected officials in in our sport, there was a, a very interesting debate that took place on Saturday evening uh, in France to find the next president of France Gallo, the governing body of French racing. Uh, the, as things stand, both President Edouard de Rothschild and uh, Chief Executive Olivier Delois, their terms are set to end. We don't know who's going to succeed Delois yet, but there are three principal candidates to succeed de Rothschild as president. And they took part in a, a public uh, and t- t- televised hustings on uh, on Saturday evening. Um, our French correspondent, Adrien Cunhas from Jour de Gallo, is, is with me now, and he helped facilitate this. Uh, Adrien, who are they, the three candidates, and what did we learn? So <clears throat> the three candidates are, are Louis de Bourgoin, Jacques Dittré, and Guillaume de Saint-Saëns. They have all of them. They are successful people in their own business, and uh, and they they are significant significant horse owners or breeders. Uh, Louis de Bourgoin, he was he had a long career in the in the uh, Lagardère Group, and and then he was he had a long international career in the in the airport retails, and and he's a, he's a jump. Uh, jump uh, owner and breeder, Jacques Détré is one of the biggest uh, owners of jump horses in France, but he's also, had, um, you remember him in a Royal Ascot with Vision d'État, and he's, he's, he's a surgeon, but he's also the head of, of a very big hospital, so he has a massive responsibility, and, and Guillaume de Sensen. He, he, he is a classic winning owner in France on the flat, he had a few very good jumpers too, and, and he he has a high-profile career in banking. 
So it was it was quite a long uh, a debate or, or organized by by Jour de Galois. It's the first time in the in the French wrestling history that uh, a debate is organized. It, it was quite long, two hours. They, they talked about a lot of things. Just to, to give you a little bit of context, so everybody can vote. Like I have one ballot. The local butcher have one ballot if he has one mayor, and the Agakan has one ballot too. So we elect the boards, but the the president will be elected by the board, not not by directly by us. So the the the, the thing about the debate was to uh, seduce people from the various boards, and also to give a positive message to the uh, racing community. So it, it was like a, a a double game from from all okay. the three candidates. What, what's what's a bit surprising from a debate is that it's most of three of them they have worked a lot inside the racing body together for years, so they acted more like um, not partners but like people that were willing to exchange and and debate. It was not there was no aggressivity, you know. There was no there was a lot of respect. But that's what I mean. And I, and I think they are they do agree on. On quite a lot of subjects. So, uh, if we focus on, on what could be interesting for non-French uh, audience, I think one of them, with Bourguin, says he wants to try to rise the price money in France from 10%, which is a bit ambitious because 10% would be something massive and and it would be an historic change. So, they both of both of three, the three of them, they, they say they want to do massive cost-killing project, and as we certainly know. This cost-killing project has started in French racing because now the French told the PMU, the trotting racing body, and France Gallo, they share the same flat, and and they want to uh, have in common a few functions that that that, that we make them uh, save a lot of money. So it's like if in England. Uh, the 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 yeah. rugby federation was in the was sharing the same flat uh, uh, than the football federation and and one one uh, betting company to save money. It's it's a bit like uh, uh, innovative and they think they can uh, uh, save millions like that. Also, uh, there is the the question of of uh, investing a lot of more in 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 in, in uh, um, doping and like finding uh, uh, having better uh, a, a better lab for 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 searching new molecules I, I think French racing invest a lot in in the fight against doping but they really want to be uh, the, the leading nation in in Europe uh, in, in, in in the anti-doping uh, 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 fight there is also the the the, the, the thing about you know if you go back three or four months ago, lots of people could have been say, saying, I want to be the president of France Gallo. And like every president of an association in France can say, I want to be the president of France Gallo. And some of them came with crazy ideas like, we want to ban foreign, foreign raiders because they took so much money in French racing. And if you look on daily basis, foreign raiders, there are something, uh, 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 I can 10% of the runners, but British and Irish present only a very small number of runners, but every day you have runners in France from Spain, the Czech Republic, Germany, and all that. And we need them because they make runners, and, and runners is good for betting turnover, and betting turnover makes the prize money in France. But small trainers in France, some of them complain that these people, they don't play the same rules on us, and they shouldn't be banned and all that. So all the three final candidates, they, I think they, all of them are, they do agree, we, we need to be a, 
competitive and open competition in France from the smallest race to the biggest race. But the question is, who do you give the priority? And one of them, Will Bourguin, was saying, we probably, in the small races, should give the priority to the local horse. The local horse doesn't mean the French horse. It means the horse trained locally. And it would be like, if you have a race in Deauville Handicap, you give the priority to the Deauville horses because he thinks there is also... Um, environment aspect like and traveling horses from all over France for uh, small races will have a, a bad effect in terms of carbon footprint and he thinks we have to make a revolution in racing in terms of for on a daily basis probably have a more local thinking and, and, and give a more local racing program to, to the horses and also for for the staff because it's exhausting for people working racing to have to travel around the country to, to for, for, for races. So probably you should do that for a big race. But for small races, he, 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 he says that it's not really fair to have 10 hours travel to to, go, to run a, 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 a claimer. Uh, okay. So the, Adrian, who's, who's going to get your vote? Oh, so I'm not on the board. <laughs> <laughs> so so I can't vote. So I had an idea before the, the debate, but now I have to admit, uh, uh, I really don't know. Uh, I, I would say that um, I would be more keen on uh, uh, um, Jacques Détré or Guillaume Sensen because I know them quite well. I think they do fit more my vision of racing. I, I know less well uh, Louis Bourguin and I probably don't agree with some of his position. But uh, I, I think the three of them could be very capable uh, presidents. They surprised me in a very positive way. So now uh, the, the, the thing is on the end of the different boards with um, jockeys, trainers, Breeders and honest representatives will have to vote, and we will know the new France Gallo president on the 12th of December. And before he left, Edouard Child started uh, a process of town scouting for the new CEO, and uh, uh, it's 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 not definitive yet, so we don't really know yet uh, who are the possible candidates for being the new uh, CEO. And so we, we we shall see, but it's not going to be easy to take over after Olivier Drouin. All right, Adrian, thanks so much. Thank you. Jane Mangan is still with me. An extraordinary day on Friday at Goffs, seeing MV uh, uh, Magnus spend nearly 20 million euros on the best of the Niarchos family stock, chief amongst them Alpha Centauri and Alpine Star, uh, but they weren't the only ones. And the theatre in the in the sales ring, Jane, was 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 pretty intense. It was indeed. I, like Manny, just went for the stardom and all we were missing was a cup of cola and some popcorn because that's what it was. It was theatre. These horses, particularly Alpha Centauri, are celebrities uh, on the track and now in their second careers. So... There was the biggest players from international breeding present in that auditorium. And you know what? Some guys from Tipperary spent nearly 20 million euros on four horses. So in, in, in itself, from Irish bloodstock perspectives, it was nice to see them stay in the country and stay the place, I think, where they board or they did board for the Niarchos family. I suppose there was a twinge of sadness for the family themselves to see this happen. Um, you know, there's there's years, generations, decades of of work and thoughtfulness and and 
passion gone into each and every one of those individuals. So I'm not surprised with the money they made. And the fact that they're staying in Ireland, I suppose, is a bonus for you can, you know, when when Coolmore win the classics, this is why this is the, the investment they put into it. All right, and staying in the breeding shed, so to speak, I need to alert you to uh, the inaugural Thoroughbred Breeders Association Access Foal Forum, which is open to all of you, and that's on Thursday the 30th of November, so this Thursday at Park Paddocks, and will take place in the Tattersall Sales Ring, and it's free to attend if you sign up in advance. You obviously want to know what the TBA Access Foal Forum is, if you don't already, and to help me with that, I've um, uh, I've been joined by Kate Sigsworth, who's the Deputy Chair of the Thoroughbred Breeders Association, and is also a member of the welfare board so kate tell me a little bit more and tell me what people can enjoy if they rock up for free on thursday hi nick thank you for giving us chance to uh, tell you a little bit more about this new uh, event um obviously this year tattersalls have changed the day uh, where there's a dark day at the sales and this has given us the opportunity to do it and tattersalls have been really kind and let us use the sales ring and their facilities and we are very grateful to tattersalls for letting us do that um so it is a forum about how to prep foals and what you're looking for when you're buying foals but it's also very interactive so it starts at 5 p.m and at 5 p.m there'll be mulled wine and mince pies to get the party going and it'll give everybody a chance to to mix and mingle it's quite a solitary job uh, having mares and, and buying and this time of year we're all busy but then suddenly in december in january after december sales have finished it all goes very quiet and we don't get a chance to mix so there is a little bit of that networking element but also i know when i've been to various events actually a lot of the best ideas i've got uh, at, at lunch chatting to other breeders and other buyers and it is sharing that that experience that you have and a lot of it is experience what doesn't work on one horse might work on another so uh, we've got a panel together of uh, consigners and of purchasers, and we also have a vet. Um, it's, the betting side's probably becoming more important than it was because foals are often bought for resale. That would be the biggest market for them. So obviously people are more interested in what's going on on the veterinary side. And for foals, it is slightly different. It's, it's the vetting. Um, it's just because they're younger and they're less handled it probably has the potential to be a little bit more stressful so it's a case of getting that right so it's the least stressful that it can be for them so i think it's important to have a vet there as well it's quite interesting i was going to say it's quite interesting that this is a particular focus because it's and also a particular focus in trying to sort of draw a, a newer generation into the sport because i was reading about the, the foal sales last week at, at goffs the amount of younger buyers who are getting involved at that end of the market, it does seem to attract the new blood, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I've certainly, the breeders I have with me, that I, I mean, I board work mares as well as have my own, and they've all started through pin hooking. Um, you've got a much quicker return, so you, you're in quicker and you're out quicker. So these will be sold in... August, depending on whether you're going to Goss UK or you're going to Somerville or generally the October sales. There will be an odd one that's sold at December to, you know, this week, uh, December sales, but uh, generally you're, you're not looking at keeping them for a year. 
but also um, I, I know the people we bought foals for and got gotten going clients. They really enjoyed it because it's given them chance to. They followed the stallion all year that the stallions buy. It's a more accessible way. It's cheaper. Um, you can get together with friends and buy one. Um, there's probably there's definitely less work than having a mare. It's it's quite skilled. It's foaling mares, and there's a, there's a whole different knowledge that you need. A whole new level of veterinary knowledge and care that you need to know. But with uh, foals to yearlings, it's probably slightly easier and a good way to dip your toe without being having that long-term financial involvement so um full forum thursday um you don't need to you don't need to pay you just need to turn up no absolutely we'd like everybody it's open to everybody uh we've got a really good panel we've got mimi morton violet hesker wh bloodstock uh there's ed Ed Whitsbury, Ed Harper, he's there. Uh, he, of course, sold uh, a Chaldean at the full sales, so he'll be great to ask questions to Alex Elliott, followed by uh, Mimi Wadden and Violet Hesketh there, obviously, followed by us. I'm on the panel as well as a smaller breeder because it is different if you're doing a big consignment or a small consignment. It's free to everybody. Go onto the TVA website and register. That's all we're asking you to do. If you have an interest, think you might have an interest, you work in it, you might want to work in it, you're already in it. We would like to see you there. We really want this to be a good event. And it, we, we want it to be social as well. It's say plenty of time. There will be a, a discussion, but there's plenty of time to ask the panel questions and also to meet the panel and discuss things with them both before and after the actual panel session, the forum session. Kate, thanks so much for your time. Best of luck with it. Thanks, thanks Nick. Okie doke. Jane Mangan still with me. Thanks to all my guests today. Jane, have you got a tip for me for today? We're off to Ludlow in the bumper. It's unusual to see Sam Curling and Philip Enright head over to Ludlow, but they're bringing a pair of runners over, and I like their horse in the bumper, Metkina. She's a filly that was third in a competitive-looking bumper at Galway on her first and only run. She's bringing, she, they're bringing the daughter of Diamond Boy across in what looks like a decent uh, mare's bumper. That actually includes a Sir Percy daughter of Snow Leopardess, which I'm sure will capture a lot of attention. But I like a Metkina in the 350 at Ludlow. All right, Jane, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much for listening today. That was Monday, November the 27th. Back to do it again tomorrow. Bye bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.